grab your Bibles, open them up. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be hanging out today. If you don't have a Bible, there is a hardback black Bible under the chair in front of you or underneath you. You can grab that Bible. We'll be on page 869 together. As we're continuing our journey through the gospel of Luke together, uh, this morning we've come to this short pericope. Um, and pericope is, is this word. It's a technical term. And uh, I feel like I want you to understand it, right? Like um, it means like story or account. It's just a technical term. Um, I don't like the word story. Uh, because when you say story, you think, oh, that's something that's made up. Well, th this isn't made up, right? This is God's word. These, this is history that happened, right? So pericope, it's also a fun word to say, so I'm going to give you a chance to say it, pericope. Oh, come on. You guys can do better than that. Pericope. Okay, there. We're all together now, right? Like, like we can have some fun in here this morning. Is that okay? Okay, so we've come to this short pericope that um, on the surface it seems like it's just a disagreement between two sisters. But in this short section, Jesus is going to make an important point that is incredibly relevant to us today. Now, back at the end of chapter 9, we came to this transition in Jesus' ministry, right? Jesus had been serving all over the region of Galilee, but at the end of chapter 9, Jesus made this turn toward Jerusalem. Pastor Ben did an awesome job of helping us to see that. Like, as Jesus turned his face towards Jerusalem, he began the journey to the town of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, where he would ultimately suffer and die for our sins on the cross. And, and as we looked at that, what was going on is, is different people were coming to Jesus and they're saying, hey, I'm going to follow you. Or in some cases, Jesus called people to come follow him. But in all cases, it seems, somebody had other things going on. They had other responsibilities or goals or desires or, or things that were preventing them from going all in and serving Jesus. And so Jesus gently corrected them. He worked to help them see that following Jesus requires uncompromised focus. And then after that, we saw Jesus call the 72, and, and he takes 72 of his disciples, and he sent them out in pairs to go and prepare the way for him, proclaiming his coming kingdom, proclaiming his good news. And as they returned, those 72 came to Jesus, and they were super excited about all that they were able to do in Jesus' name. They were super excited about the way that God was working in and through them. And, and as that happened, again, Jesus gently corrected them. He, he worked to help them see that our greatest joy isn't found in the things we do as we serve Jesus. Our greatest joy is found in Jesus himself, that we know him, that we get to serve him. That's what he was working to help them see. And then last week, as Jesus was traveling towards Jerusalem, he encountered a lawyer who, who tried to trap Jesus. He tried to put him to the test, and, and he asked him, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? But Jesus flipped the script on him. You remember this, right? He, he said, well, what do you think? What does the law say? How, how do you read it? And the lawyer responded with what's known as the Shema. And then he added on Leviticus 19.18, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he was right. Jesus affirmed his answer. And, and as, as Jesus affirmed the answer, the, the lawyer looked for the limitation. 
He, he looked for the limit. How far do I have to love? Who do I have to love? So he said, and who is my neighbor? He wanted to follow the rules. His perspective was off. And so Jesus corrected him gently by, by telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. He worked to help him see that our, our love for God expresses itself in a love for others. We don't put limitations on who we can love. We love God by loving everyone. And, and each time, each time Jesus has these encounters, there's this pattern that's happening. That's what we've been seeing since the end of chapter 9. Jesus will have an encounter with someone, and then he'll have a conversation. And, and as he has that conversation, he provides correction. And that's what's going to happen today as well. And as he does, Jesus has this encounter and this conversation with Martha and Mary. As he does, he's going to help us see that when you're serving Jesus, the most important thing to know is Jesus. And that's our main idea for today. When you're serving Jesus, the most important thing to know is not what do I need to do. It's not... What's the plan? How are we going to build this? What are we going to go out and do? How are we going to proclaim? What's the strategy? No, the most important thing to know when you're serving Jesus is Jesus himself. And that's what we're going to see in this short section. So with that in mind, let's dive right in. It's just five verses today, y'all. We're going to get out early. We'll get lunch. It's going to be exciting. But take a look at this. Luke chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 38. We're going to go all the way to verse 42. Okay, the Bible says now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Elsewhere in scripture, we read that the grass withers, but the flower falls, but that the word of the Lord remains forever, and this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, teach us this morning. Help us to hear from you. Help us to be encouraged by you. Help us to see that as we're serving you, the most important thing is, is that we know you, that we love you, that we live for you, that you are the focus of our serving. You are the focus of our attention. Our first priority has always got to be you. Speak to us today, Father. Protect us from the temptation to serve for our sake. Help us to see the warning that's in this text, to embrace it, and then to go out living to love you and serve you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we get to spend together this morning. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. I don't know if you know this. Um, I am the third of four boys in my house growing up. Um, and in my house growing up, we had to do chores, all of us. Um, for us, that included taking out the trash and cleaning up around the house. Uh, our house was heated with a uh, wood stove fireplace, so we had to chop and stack and bring in firewood. And this is up in the Pacific Northwest where it actually gets cold in the winter. 
right? So like we had to do these chores. We had to do the dishes. We had to do the laundry. And, and when we did the dishes, like we didn't have a dishwasher. Like our dishwasher was Eddie, Tim, Josh, or Nathan. That was our dishwasher, right? So we had to do the dishes. And, and when we do the dishes, usually we'd split that up. So one of us would be responsible to wash the dishes and one of us would be responsible to dry them and put them away. That's a whole foreign concept to kids these days, I think, sometimes. But, like, like we actually had to put the dishes away, right? And, and I can't tell you how many times in all of these chores that we had to do that I would go to my parents and I would complain about how unfair it was that they were doing less work than I was doing, right? Like, like it always seemed like, I, I guess if my dad was here, he'd tell you it, was, it happened a lot. We always thought, all of us, not just me, Tim and Eddie and Nathan thought it too, like we always thought it was unfair how much we were doing compared to everybody else. And if I could be just perfectly honest, I don't think that that is a problem unique to me. Like, like I don't think that's something that just happened at 1010 South Washington in Tacoma, Washington 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Let's be honest, it's longer than 30. But I think that's something that happens to just about every sibling set that has ever existed. I mean, we're even seeing it here in the Bible, right? We've got Mary and Martha right here. Now, now this story on the surface, it seems like it's just an argument between these two sisters about the amount of work that's having to be done, but the reality is it's not. The reality is this little account, this little pericope, it's about priorities, And I want you to see that because both Mary and Martha have their priorities. But Jesus is going to show that that one of them is just a little bit off and is going to need to be corrected. So, So take a look with me as we dive in. Beginning at verse 38, Luke tells us, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, let's let's stop right there. As Jesus and his disciples are are traveling, Luke tells us that they entered a village. And and although Luke is, is incredibly vague, he doesn't tell us what village it is. We know from the Gospel of John that the village is is Bethany. We know that that's where Mary and Martha and their brothers. Uh, their brother Lazarus lived. It was Bethany, which is only two miles from Jerusalem. And that's significant because Bethany being only two miles from Jerusalem means that as we look at this portion of the gospel, as Jesus is traveling towards Jerusalem, we can know that this little pericope right here is chronologically out of order. Jesus is right there, right two miles from Jerusalem, but when we get to chapter 17, he's going to be a long way north of Jerusalem. He's going to be like like way up in between Samaria and Galilee. And so this account is out of place chronologically with the journey to Jerusalem, but that really shouldn't bother us. That that shouldn't be a problem for us. You, You see, all four Gospels, they tell us the story of Jesus, his life, his teachings, his ministries, And like other biographical works of that day, they don't always skip to a pure stick to a purely chronological flow. Now, our modern biographies do that, right? Like they start with 
the birth of the individual, and you learn about their childhood, and then you learn about their young adult years, and their adult years, and their seniorhood, and eventually their death, right? Like, that's how we write biographies in 2023. But in Jesus' day, that's not what they did. Often, these, these biographies in that day, what they would do is they'd have this general chronology, but within that general chronology, they would take different events, and they would stack them thematically to help tell the story of who this person was, what they thought, how they taught, what was important to them. And that's what Luke is doing right here. Luke is working to help us see who Jesus is and what's most important to him. And we're seeing that here, and it's helpful to remember that that's all part of what we've been looking at since the end of chapter 9. Like, like, think about it. Since the end of chapter 9, what we've been seeing is this teaching on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. As Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem, he's helping us to see what being a disciple looks like. So Jesus talked about the focus that's required if you're going to be his disciple, right? Pastor Ben showed us that. And then Jesus talked about where we find our joy as we're serving him as his disciple. And then he talked about how we love others as his disciple. And then we come to this short account right here. And what we're seeing here is that this thing called discipleship, it's complex. Because even as we're serving Jesus, we can get off track if we're not careful. And that's what we're seeing right here. That's what Luke is working to teach us here. That's why he's placed it right here. So we have this account. As Jesus arrives in town, he's invited into the home of a woman named Martha. In fact, Luke tells us that Martha welcomed him, welcomed Jesus into her house. And and being a good hostess, Martha is doing everything that was expected to extend the kind of hospitality that Jesus actually commended last week in the parable of the Good Samaritan. She's working to make sure that he's welcome and taken care of and that everything's just right. And in doing that, she serves as a positive example. Like, especially when you think about how the Samaritans treated Jesus. You remember that at the end of chapter nine, the Samaritans would not welcome Jesus, but Martha is, right? Everything we're seeing right here is working to help us see that what she's doing is good. This whole section has been arranged that way. It's good that Martha is welcoming and serving Jesus. But Martha's not the only person in the house. There in verse 39, Luke tells us that she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So we've got Mary there as well. And contrary to the customs of the day, Mary didn't help her sister to serve Jesus. She she didn't go about and extend the kind of hospitality that Martha was extending to Jesus Instead, she went and she sat down at Jesus' feet and she listened to Jesus as he was teaching. Now, as we read that, we we might be tempted to pass over the fact that she did that. I'll be honest, as I first was reading this passage, preparing for this uh, early, uh, this last week, like, like I passed over it. And the reason we pass over that, that like she went in and sat down at Jesus' feet, the, the reason we passed over that is, is because that's what we would expect someone to do, right? Like we would expect anybody that meets Jesus to want to sit down and learn from Jesus. But, but that's because we're reading this with our cultural lens. 
Like in Jesus' day, in first century Judaism, women did not assume the role of a disciple. They would never have done this. This, this was out of the ordinary. In fact, some people thought that women were incapable of learning. But, but Jesus is once again showing us that his gospel message crosses cultural lines and cultural expectations. What we're seeing here in this account is that Jesus not only welcomes women to sit and learn, he encourages it. He calls men and women to be his disciples because his good news is for everyone. Once again, he's showing us that. Don't pass over that. That's big. So Mary takes the initiative and she comes to Jesus and she sits down at Jesus' feet as he's teaching there in the home. Mary was listening and learning from Jesus, but as she did that, Martha's busy serving Jesus. And there in the first half of verse 40, Luke tells us that. He says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha had a lot of good things that she needed to do to be a good hostess. And in and of itself, that that serving wasn't bad. In truth, it's good. Martha was extending the kind of welcome that Jesus had told the 72 to go look for. Remember when he talked about if you enter a house of peace and they welcome you, let your peace rest on them, right? Like, like that's this right here. She's doing it. This is a good thing. But sometimes being busy with a good thing can actually be a bad thing. And that's what's happening with Martha. She's so busy taking care of things that Luke tells us she was distracted Her busyness in serving Jesus distracted her from the fact that Jesus was in her house. And listen, like, like, I get it. Like, could you imagine if Jesus came to your house today, like right now? Like, if Jesus came to my house, first of all, I'm going to tell you, like, we'd go into super clean mode because, like, house is a little bit messy, right? Like, but, but I could imagine if Jesus came over to my house over here in Lillian, he shows up, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to take Jesus into the living room. I'm going to sit him down in my spot on the couch. I'm going to reach in and pull that little ejection handle that pops the footrest up. I'm going to make Jesus comfortable. I'm going to get Sunday ticket, put some NFL on there for him. Jesus can watch some football, and I'm heading to the kitchen because I'm the cook in my family. And I'm going to make whatever my best dish is, and I'm going to serve Jesus. Right? Like it, it makes sense that Martha sees Jesus and is wanting to be a great hostess and welcome him and make him feel comfortable, right? We can understand that. But you have to, you have to remember who it is that's in her house. This is Jesus. That's who has come over. He's sitting there and he's teaching in her house. And Martha was so busy playing the role of being a good hostess that she missed that. She was so busy serving Jesus that she was distracted from listening to him. But before you're quick to judge Martha in this, you you need to recognize that this is a very real threat for us. All throughout this section of Luke, We've seen this call to serve Jesus, and that call is there. It's important. We should answer that call. If you you call yourself a Christian, if you claim the name of Christ, then you have been called to serve the Lord in ministry. Your ministry might look different. It's not going to look like mine necessarily. It could for some of you. 
But all of us have been called to serve, right? That, that call is there. But we cannot allow serving Jesus to stop us from listening to and learning from Jesus. Did you hear me on that? We cannot become so busy in all the doing that we become distracted. Like I can tell you, as a pastor, this is one of the first things I was taught. Like before I even started seminary, I, I had guys pulling me aside and saying, listen, Josh, you're starting seminary. You're starting ministry. Do not allow that to become a substitute for your relationship with Jesus. Do not allow all your studying in theological books and books of the Bible. Do not allow your preparation for sermons to become a replacement for your time with the Lord. This is important, and it, it can be a temptation for all of us. And so if I can make a, a quick plug really quick, I want you to recognize that that's one of the blessings of having two services on Sundays as a church, right? Like we, we can't allow all of our serving Jesus in ministry to interrupt our relationship with Jesus and one of the blessings of having two services is that you're able to do both. You're able to serve in one service, whether that's the first service or the second service, and you're able to sit in the other one and, and do this thing that we do every Sunday together. Like, and, and this is an area where I'm just going to be honest. As your pastor, we need to grow in this. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be harsh or critical, but I need, we need to grow in this. I think it got into our culture a little bit as we started as a young church with only one service. We got used to the idea that, hey, if I'm going to serve, I'm just going to miss out that Sunday. But listen, that's not necessary anymore. It would be best for us to be together and worship in one service and then serve in the other because you need this. Like, like, were you guys listening as we sang today? Like, did you hear yourselves singing? Like, it was amazing. Like, we're not even a full room right now, but, but you could hear one another. And there's something that God does in our hearts as we come together as individuals and, and we just worship Jesus together. And, and if you've never noticed, let me encourage you, not all at once, Chase will get mad at me, but, but stop singing for a minute and listen to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, hear them worship the king because there's something edifying and encouraging and empowering for you. You need that. You need that. This stuff is important. So if you're serving, thank you. If you're not serving, come serve. Either way, don't forsake gathering with your brothers and sisters in Christ because we need this. We need to spend time with Jesus. And this gathering here on Sunday, that, that's part of that. But, it, but it's not just this. It's also our personal devotional lives. Like we need to spend time with the Lord. We need to spend time gathering together. We need to spend time just in fellowship. If you're not in a connection group or something like that, get in one. We need this. But the temptation that we face is... is that we can allow ourselves to become so busy that we let those things slip. 
And, and listen, it, it's not intentional. We, we don't plan it. It just sort of happens. You know what I'm talking about? Like our, our days fill up so fast that we don't have any time left over at the end of the day. Our week gets so full and, and so busy. Our, our calendars fill up with work and sports and hobbies and vacations and all the rest. And, and we find ourselves going nonstop. And by the end of the day, by the end of the week, we, we haven't spent any time growing in our relationship with Christ. We end up basically just like Martha, completely distracted. And often when that happens, what happens next is we lose track of the whole reason why we've been serving in the first place. There's actually kind of a clear chain. Can, can we throw up verse 40 real quick on the screen? There's this clear chain of events that you can actually follow here in the text. You see this busyness, it leads to distraction, and then the distraction leads to a loss of focus, and then the loss of focus leads to this shift in your attentions, and this shift in your attentions causes you to miss what matters most. And that's what happens there with Martha. Luke tells us that right here. Read this. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Do you see the chain of events that's right there in that text, right? Martha was busy working to do these good things to be a good hostess. And that busyness distracted her and caused her to lose focus on who it was she was serving and why she was serving him. Her attention shifted as she's doing all of this from herself or from Jesus to herself. Like notice the pronouns. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Her attention has shifted to herself. She didn't care anymore that Jesus was in her house teaching. All she cared about was how much she was doing. Martha's distraction manifested itself in this selfish response of anger and frustration. Look what she says to Jesus there in the second half of verse 40. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Like, like it's gotten to the point where she's making an accusation against Jesus. Do you see that? Lord, don't you care about me? She's accusing Jesus. She's asking him if he even cares that she's doing all these things for her, for him. She's been slaving away. She's been working hard to be a good hostess. And in all her busyness, her work has become about her, not Jesus. So it's like she's telling him, look at me, Jesus. Look at all the good things I'm doing for you, Jesus. I'm serving you. I'm, I'm ministering. I'm, I'm being your hands and feet. And, and you don't even care. What I'm doing is important. Tell her to come help me. That's what she's saying. Somewhere along the way in her mind, her serving Jesus became about her, not him. And the reality is this is a dangerous trap that all of us can fall into. We can begin to equate busyness with faithfulness. Don't do that. Don't equate 
busyness with faithfulness. We can begin to think that all these things that we're doing to serve Jesus are what matters most. And and the truth is, the longer you're in ministry, the more you're in, the deeper you dive, the more likely this threat becomes for you. Because it's really easy when, when you're busy in ministry to allow yourself, allow your service to become about you. I've, I've seen this happen with numerous pastors around the country. As they serve, their, their ministry begins to focus less and less on Jesus and more and more on them. And the result is that they just end up falling. It happened twice in the same year back in 2018. It happened in the church I grew up in, up in Tacoma, Washington. And it happened in the church that Tama and the girls and I were members of out in California. Like, like these are men who loved Jesus. Like, like, I've known one of them. I've known him since I was like 10 years old. He was my student pastor. I know he loved Jesus, but along the way, his focus became on him, himself and his platform and, and all the great things that he was doing. And then pride took over, and he, he lost his focus on Jesus. And then he started doing things that no Jesus follower should be doing. And the result was just a devastating wake of destruction. Two churches in one year. But listen, it's, it's not just pastors. This can happen to any of us. And the wake of destruction that follows may be different. Like it could be your family or your relationships with friends or neighbors, but, but it happens when we lose our focus on Jesus, which is why it's so important for us to keep our eyes fixed on him. And as we return to the text here, I want you to see that that's what Jesus emphasizes as well. Jesus is going to correct Martha's priorities here, and I love how gently he does it. Take a look, beginning at verse 41. Bible says, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I, I love the compassion in Jesus' voice as he responds. Like, like if I can just be perfectly honest. I didn't get that tone of voice from my parents when I went to complain about my brothers. To be even more honest, my daughters don't get that tone of voice from me. Right? But that's where it's awesome that Jesus doesn't respond like we would respond. He responds with compassion. Jesus responds by coming to her and meeting her in the moment and just gently correcting her. He says, Martha... Martha, listen, you are so busy and worried and anxious about all of these things that need to happen, but Martha, there's only one thing that's necessary. There's, there's only one thing that's needed right now, and your sister Mary, she's chosen that. She's chosen the good portion. I'm not going to take that away from her. Mary chose what mattered most. Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him. 
she recognized that the most important thing in that moment was to know Jesus, to spend time with Jesus, to learn from Jesus. And that's the reminder that I think a lot of us need as well. Friends, hear me on this. The most important thing is Jesus. You need to know him. You need to spend time with him. You need to talk to him. That's what matters most. Listen, serving is good and necessary. All of us, as his disciples, we're called to serve. I've told you this, right? Like as followers of Jesus, he calls every single one of us to use the gifts and abilities that he has given us for his kingdom, for his glory. Our last three weeks in chapters 9 and 10 of Luke have made that perfectly clear. But that service has to flow out of the relationship that we have with Jesus. That service must be rooted in the joy of knowing God as our utmost treasure and and our greatest joy. Like if we're serving Jesus out of anything else, it's it's not going to be about him. The most important thing to know is Jesus. That's what we're seeing right here. And Mary did that. She got to know Jesus by sitting at his feet and listening to him as he taught. That's not really how we do it, though. It's a little different for us. We do it by spending time in his word. We we do it by reading our Bibles. And listen, what we're being called into here, I'm I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to make you feel like I'm failing. Not at all trying to encourage you and help you see we need this. So so we do that by by reading our Bibles. And and if you're not used to reading your Bible, it doesn't have to be hard. Like it could start with a sentence or a paragraph. Just read that. Study it. Like examine it. Ask questions like, why is he telling us this? What's this calling me into? Start with a paragraph and just try to do that every day. If you set a specific time that's, again, not legalistic, it just helps you to be consistent. But we do that by spending time in his word, reading our Bibles. We get to know Jesus by meditating on his word. And I know that's another word that sometimes we get a little nervous about, right? Like we think meditation, we think like Eastern mysticism where we're emptying our mind out, but that's not what meditation is when it's meditating on God's word. Meditating on God's words, like taking that sentence, taking that paragraph and just holding it up to the light like a diamond to see every angle, every piece of beauty, to see everything that God is showing us about who he is, about what he's done, about what he's called us into. It just means you take a a Bible verse, like everybody knows John 3.16, right? Like, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And just saying, okay, what is that teaching me? First and foremost, God loves us. He loves us. Like, what does that mean that he loves us? He sent his son. He didn't send a stranger. He sent his son to die for us. Like, like what does that mean for me? How do I respond to that? That's what it looks like. You just take that, that verse and you examine it from every angle. That's what it means to meditate on God's word. And you can do it while you're driving. You can do it while you're walking the dog down the street. 
But this is how we get to know Jesus. We spend time meditating on his word. We spend time in prayer. We talk to Jesus. We pray. And listen, if you're not good at praying, you know how you get good at praying? By praying. You you don't have to use special language. Like if you're five years old in the room, you can pray. You just talk to God like you talk to everybody else. And if if you don't want to look weird about it, because you're doing it on a walk or something, throw some like AirPods in your ears, people will think think you're on the phone. Right? But just like pray. You learn to pray by praying, by talking to God. You can't have a relationship with somebody if you're not talking to them. So we do it by spending time in prayer. We, we do it by spending time in fellowship with his bride, the church. We need this. I've already told you that today, right? We need fellowship with one another. We need the encouragement and the edification that comes as we worship together and we open the word together and we pray together. Like people who say, hey, listen, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. That doesn't work. That, that's like you coming to me and saying, hey, Josh, I love you. Can't stand Tama. Now, first of all, we all know that that always goes the other way, right? Like Tama, we love you. Josh is annoying, Right? But if you don't like my bride, we're not going to be friends, right? You can't love Jesus and not love the church. The church is messy because it's full of people, right? You're here. Think about what that means. But we need this. This time in fellowship, this, this is how we get to know him. We know Jesus best by making him the most important priority of our lives. He's got to be number one. After all, that's what Mary did, right? Mary went to Jesus. She took the initiative. So it's been a while. It's time to nerd out for a minute, okay? Like like up in verse 39, there's a Greek word. It's a, a big Greek word there in verse 39 that's translated in our Bibles to just two very short words, sat at. That Greek word is parakathizomai. And parakathizomai is a reflexive verb, which told you we're nerding out, right? A reflexive verb is a verb that, that means that the subject and the object are the same. All that to say, throw verse 39 up there, would you? All that to say, verse 39 could be literally translated as, and she had a sister called Mary. She sat herself beside the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. That's like the most literal way to translate sat at. She sat herself beside Jesus' feet. She took the initiative. She made listening to Jesus, learning from Jesus, a priority. Mary went to Jesus' feet. She sat there. She made him the priority. And the question we have to answer today is, do we do that? Is Jesus a priority in your life? Listen, we schedule everything these days. Like, I think I have like 
three or four calendars in my phone that I'm supposed to keep up with. And thankfully, my wife and the staff here at the church helped me with that. But like we schedule everything in our lives. Are we scheduling time for Jesus? Do you make him a priority? For, for some, that might look like setting an alarm to wake up a little bit earlier each morning. Maybe you're not a morning person. I'm not a morning person. But you set an alarm to, to wake up and you open your Bible and you spend a little bit of time reading your Bible. Again, we're not trying to be legalistic here. Just consistent. You spend a little bit of time in prayer. For, for others, it might mean you set an alarm in the evening where, where you plan to turn off that TV, that iPhone, that iPad, and, and that's when you're going to spend some time. For some, it might mean that you take your Sunday in your calendar and you completely block it off. Because Sunday, you want it to be a day where you can spend time with the Lord and spend time in fellowship with the church and encourage and grow as, as you're doing this thing called being a disciple of Jesus. Do you schedule time for the Lord? Like, I love the fact my, my phone is sitting on there and I'm not going to say her name, but my phone, she, if I say, hey, and then she responds and, and I can say, hey, remind me to do this. Remind me to do that. Like technology is an awesome tool. Are we leveraging it to help us grow and love and follow Jesus? For some of us, setting an alarm, something as simple as setting an alarm could help us to know and love Jesus more. Are we being intentional about pursuing Christ? Because listen, in our day and age, probably the only way we're gonna do this is if we're actually intentional. If we actually schedule these things because following Jesus is going to require that we're intentional and proactive. It, it's something you're not going to drift into. This isn't going to happen by accident. It's going to take effort. But it's effort worth expending. Listen, serving Jesus is important. It absolutely is. But it's not what's most important. What we're learning here at the end of chapter 10 is that when you're serving Jesus, the most important thing to know is Jesus. That's what matters most. And so the question is, do you know him? Don't allow your serving to replace knowing him. Don't equate busyness with faithfulness. Take time to intentionally pursue relationship with Christ. And as you do, allow the overflow of that relationship to lead you into serving. Because that's how we're going to do things in the kingdom. That's how we're going to see lives changed. When we love Jesus more than anything else, and because we love Jesus, because we know him, we serve him. It goes in that order. You know him, you love him, you serve him. When you're serving Jesus, the most important thing to know is not what you need to do. It's, it's not the strategy. The most important thing to know is Jesus himself. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it provides us today. 
Father, we confess that sometimes we're really good at the actions and not really good at the heart. So, Father, I'm asking, would you help us to know you more? Would you help us to grow in our love and affection for you? When we're tempted to see service as what's most important, would you correct our perspective? Would you help us to to serve from an overflow? where we live in complete dependence on you. Father, we thank you that you bring us confrontations like this one, where just five verses are able to confront something that is, a, I think, a challenge for a lot of us. I know it's a challenge for me. So help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus so that we can faithfully serve him with our focus always on you. We thank you for this time that we've had together today, Lord. It's in your beautiful name that I pray. Amen.